So I reiterate here, the bill is dead. The story of this great city is about the years before this night. Welcome to Ho Ho Hong Kong. I am Andy Curtin. And I am Vivek Mabubani. You can catch me online at Andy Curtin on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And you can catch me over on Facebook at Funny Vivek with the letter M. M for mustard because there are zero calories in it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> every, every time I get to think of something I'm leaving new. that in. I'm leaving <laughs> that in. That's not going to get edited out. <laughs> I'm kidding. I do zero editing. Um, we, if you are enjoying the podcast, please do us a big favor, hit subscribe. It just helps with all the al- algorithms and all that stuff and helps us find more people because we want to do this. Do yeah. It, do it big, get some live I mean, shows going. Leave a review, say what you liked about it. And remember, hit, give us the ratings on the stars. Remember, count the number of fingers on your hands and give it that star. If you have less than five, just hit five. Yeah. <laughs> just the, the number of fingers you wish you had if you have less than five fingers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today we're talking about a topic that's very close to Vivek's tongue. Yep, exactly. It's learning Cantonese. Cantonese language. Should I learn Cantonese? We're going to find out what is the origin story of the language Cantonese. I spoke Cantonese my whole life and I probably don't know half of this stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about wh- how you should learn it, why you should learn it, and we're going to get into the politics because there is a huge political aspect to this. What does Beijing look at it? How are they treating it? And I didn't realize there are minority languages in Hong Kong. Cantonese, Urdu, all these different languages. People are speaking, people are talking, and we'll also probably figure out how many people are speaking what languages. It's interesting to look at, like, like who is speaking Cantonese, you know? And uh, I found a couple of numbers. Did you know? So this is, this is from 2016. I've, I've really tried to get updated numbers, and I'm yeah. fascinated to see how they compare now. So how many people are actually speaking well, Cantonese? Well, that's a different question. It's like 60 million people speak Cantonese. Wow. Which is huge. Yeah. I mean, what's Hong Kong? Like 7.5 million 7. people? 7.6, 7.5, yeah. So it's yeah. well beyond that. Wow. Right? 10 times of Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, almost. Huh. And then, so within Hong, Hong Kong, they did a study of like, what's the usual language that people speak? Cantonese, what do you reckon, percentage? I would say 67.28%. Wow, <laughs> well, of course, lucky number 88, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, hang on a minute. 88.8, <laughs> that doesn't sound yeah. right. <laughs> Let's add that 0.1%. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how close you get to this. Mandarin. Speakers in Hong what Kong. What percentage of people in Hong Kong in 2016 spoke, usually spoke Mandarin? So that was their first choice of language, yeah, right? Like uh, I would say... 7.3%. 1.9. Really? Yeah. Wow, I thought it was way more than that. In fact, it was much less than the category of other Chinese dialects, which is 3.1%. Okay, so all other li- dialects added up together, 3.1%. Yeah. Wow, so what about English? English gets like, what, 4%? I don't know why they didn't put it in the language, <laughs> but I'm like, why didn't they look it up? <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, we don't care about that Who language. Cares? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about our language, people. You know, wow. there's there's 1.5 billion people in mainland China. Yeah. Uh, and yet globally, only 1.1 billion people. 1.5 billion people there. Yeah. 1.1 billion people. Globally. Speak Mandarin. Is it like is is this like a, a twist on freedom of speech? It's not that they can't speak Mandarin. I'm not saying that. They just are not allowed to say the words in Mandarin. It's oh, weird. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, it's weird. I would have thought pretty much everyone spoke Mandarin there and Well, apparently about four hundred million people don't speak Mandarin. But what about all the people that are not there? 
Because <laughs> like all my brain is thinking is that it's not that they can't speak or they just don't because of circumstances. Yeah, I'm, forget like, freedom like, of speech. They don't even have speech. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't even have of. <laughs> none, yeah. of the, none of that phrase. You know, like, forget freedom of speech. We're just working on speech now. It's probably like really traditional families where the husband's like, honey, we're married now. You don't speak anymore. It's like, well, that's another person that or can, can do men. Or traditional families where the, the woman speaks and the man doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. speak. <laughs> so this, this is spoken word through the mouth, right? Not your inner feelings, right? <laughs> Not yeah, like, you yeah. know, body what language. What you speak when you cry <laughs> in, your, in your heart? I'm speaking Cantonese in my tears. Cryonese? <laughs> Cryonese. Oh, man. That's a, that's a tough language. Uh, that tear signifies this. You know, I'm, I'm fluent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All men are uh, once they hit a certain age. Right? Uh, All comics should be. But okay, well, so 88.9% of Hong Kong speaks Cantonese. And I think... Well, no, no, no. No, it's more than that. This is... 88.9 is the percentage that usually speak Cantonese. Oh, okay. Usually speak... Okay. That means they speak it more than... Speaking it more than English. Then yeah, there you go. So and it, you know that's interesting when you look at this... That, that 5% of the population here are domestic helpers. A lot of them do speak very good Cantonese as well. Uh, yeah, they might, they'd have to, right? They, they pick it up over time or at least yeah. sufficient to communicate with, you know, people around them. Isn't it fascinating how rich immigrants struggle so hard with languages <laughs> and like economic immigrants are, are just hit like native level? Full on. I think it's the business, right? It's like the money talks and bullshit walks yeah, kind of a deal. Yeah, no, because it has such... It would have... I, I mean, I'm guessing it would have such a drastic impact on their ability yeah. to earn. Yeah. Or you can't afford a translator. Because like, if you have the money, you're like, I'm not going to learn your language. This but guy I mean, next like, to me... I mean, as a white guy that doesn't speak any Cantonese, I'm a bad <laughs> translator. Well, like, I mean, like, you know, you think you don't speak Cantonese, but if you make the right sounds at the right time, someone might understand what you're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sound of tears is another word in Cantonese. <laughs> oh, that means what tone is that? That is the seventh tone asking for orange juice. <laughs> um, okay. Was here, so I, I did a bit of digging online. There was a few things I didn't realize. So, so similar. Do you know why Mandarin came about? I would say it's a simplification of a, another language. Would that be it? No, so what it was was I think in the late nineteenth century, basically the the uh, academics of Beijing realized because mainland china every city has its own dialect like the diversity of dialect is incredible which has always shocked me because russia which is so china is like the densest country on earth arguably and then russia is the largest landmass country on like geographically the largest country on earth but such a low population yeah there's no difference in accent between vladivostok and Moscow, which is the largest domestic flight in the world. Is that because no one wanted to keep secrets? They were like, it doesn't matter. I'll just say what no, he can I, understand. We don't care what you... <laughs> we're not hiding anything. Yeah. It's cold. Yeah. yeah. But then, uh, like, Shanghai had three dialects of Shanghainese that I was aware of. I'm sure there's more than that. I can imagine. I mean... It's well, such a weird cultural thing. Like, why in a dense... Uh, um, you would think that, like, where it's less dense, yeah. you would have... Like a separation, yeah. Because no language. connection, right? Yeah, because they're not talking. Yeah. Wow. Right. Well, this it, it might just be no one ever spoke until that one guy walked by and started saying words like I like those words. I will stick to, to those words and I'll use them for the rest of my life. It sounds like he's crying about orange juice. <laughs> exactly. It's a seventh tone, people. Seventh tone. So. Wow, that's really fascinating. I I really never thought of that. Yeah. So the academics of Beijing, uh, you know, whatever, like whoever's in power at the time, they realized that to enhance trade and unify the country, they needed a lingua franca. Ah. Like a lan- uh, basically a language of trade. 
Yeah. Because you had like Fujian province has the most diverse uh, accents in mainland China and, and literally like villages, adjacent villages are w- what you would call mutually unintelligible languages. They can't yeah. commute, their dialects can't talk at all. Yeah. So suddenly you had everyone learning Mandarin as a, se- you could say dialect, it's a language, it's a second language. Yeah. And boom, everyone could talk now. And they wow. can read stuff that gets rolled out. And so something similar happened with Cantonese. So Cantonese was actually the dialect of Guangzhou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we call it Guangdonghua as in Guangzhou language. Yeah, but but it, it's it's Guangzhou, but but not Guangdong. Yeah. But it's spoken as a lingua franca just in Guangdong province. Ah. Yeah, so people within Guang, Guangdong... So Guangzhou is the capital of Guangdong province. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people of Guangdong, the province, were learning the language of the capital so that the whole province could trade better. Wow. that that's They decided, you know what? We're going to do our own thing, people. This new language that I the rest know of the- that I should have looked up the timing of it. I wonder where they were at. Like, maybe this preceded Mandarin. Because, mm. you know, when you look at... Like, definitely when you look at, like, migration from Asian or Chinese communities through Malaysia and Singapore, there's all these dialects, like, Hokkien and, and Fujianhua, yeah. Minanyu have, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have carried on like when I go to Singapore, they're speaking Mandarin to me as the second of their like four languages they know. Yeah, and uh, wow. I mean, uh, then again, yeah. When I go to Singapore as well, they're speaking mixture of languages. They're making their own. They got the same accent. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's always over the overtone with the Singlish to whatever words they're trying to say. Even they're asking for orange juice sounds, you know, different. Did I tell you that Jim Gaffigan joke? No, go on. He was in Singapore. Yeah, and he said Singapore is a city where. Uh, Chinese, Indians, Malay come together to pretend to speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Gold, wow. That's a, that's a very smart observation. You know what we're talking about? Like when yeah. a comic comes in, yeah, yeah. Like, oh man, how does no one say yeah, that? Yeah, and yeah. they get that fr- fresh perspective, right? Yeah. On the whole city. You're like, I see this. You guys don't see this? You're like, oh, you're right. I never thought of that. Wow. So, w- so you would say Cantonese became kind of rebellious language in China when the rest I of the don't country know the timing. It's possible, but I just don't know the timing. But let's just say it is because who's yeah. gonna, who's gonna tell us we're wrong? Yeah, true. Right. <laughs> I mean like this this podcast is in so English. Basically Cantonese was a war on Mandarin. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you know, it kind of is coming, becoming that a little bit. Well, it, there is a struggle now. I mean, there is this big debate in Hong Kong, the preservation of Cantonese, the language itself, mostly because, I mean, uh, like myself, I speak Cantonese, so you kind of get to appreciate certain things about the language. It's not just the words, but the way you say it, because it's not a written language. You know, it's a, it's a language that you speak, Cantonese. In, in the sense that it's not different when it's written, right? Uh, so the words you say, the way you speak, and the words you write are different. So I, yeah, I get that. Like yeah. when, I, when I, I was because I speak Mandarin, I can read tradition, uh, simplify. Yeah. But when I did the first class, I did the first class. Yeah. I'm like, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> yeah. The written part. It's the traditional Chinese, right? It'll get you. Yeah. Reverse it. I I can read traditional, but I can't really be simplified. You could pick it up quickly. I'm right? pretty sure, but like guess. a lot of times when they put like just an X to replace some of the the strokes, I'm like, why? What? What? What are you oh, trying to mean? I have the opposite. <laughs> I'm like, where did this flower appear from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is there a boat in this character? It's bizarre, man. I mean, I've actually tried to learn Mandarin. I think, look, I'll be honest, it's a lack of practice, but my excuse for not being able to speak Mandarin is because my brain is just stubborn. It's like, I will do nine tones, but you give me four, not enough. I'm not going to learn this language. I want uh, more tones to it. I thought it was like a political thing. Uh, well, I mean, maybe subconsciously, but I feel, look, honestly, I would love to learn Mandarin, mostly because I want to understand what people are saying. 
when I go up to let's say mainland China for whatever, I'm walking around town going like I've lost my superpower. You know what though? It, the only time I've, I'm really able to listen into people because the real the reality is that when you walk around mainland China, people speak in their dialects. True, true. And and it's actually pretty rare that I can eavesdrop. In fact, the first time I was really able to eavesdrop was in Taipei. Oh, everybody uh, yeah. speaking Speak Mandarin. Mandarin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was in the metro. I was like the Matrix. I was like, oh my god, finally, I, that thing I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. She does think I'm fat. Yeah, you're like, oh, yes, I feel comfortable. Wait, I'm feeling sad now. I will ask for orange juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's when I get that seven wow. out. Oh, yeah. Good point, actually. I never thought of that. Because like, when I'm walking down mainland China, wherever, I'm not noticing the dialects. I'm just hearing yeah. words that I'm like, ah, man, Especially don't understand Shanghai, it. Especially Shanghai, you know? Because yeah. it's like there's Shanghainese people, but then there's a lot of non-Shanghainese people, but they're not speaking Mandarin. Yeah. Um, well... That's why whenever I travel, I really do miss un- eavesdropping on 88.9% of the population when I'm walking around town. Because yeah. you're in Hong Kong, I'm walking down like a detective, man. Everyone's saying their passwords next to me. And I'm just <laughs> like, all right, now I know what, what to log in. so funny. It's the best, man. I'm telling you, like, I've heard so many intimate and personal conversations. <laughs> and it's the, the toughest thing for me is not even trying to, you know, respect the privacy. It's holding in the laughter. That's amazing. Right? I'm just like going back. Oh God, this is tough. I gotta get off this. I gotta get on the bus. I can't do it anymore. This guy's saying that. You know. So you have that, and I think genuinely the the like even one of my original jokes was the fact that this guy was next to me speaking on the phone and telling his friend on the phone that yeah, don't worry about it. This guy next to me is a foreigner. He doesn't know what I'm saying. That's and I'm just beautiful. like, this is inception. I'm it's in a world where the guy is telling someone else I don't understand. That's I, like I, what everyone wants in learning a language. I tell you, that is why I tell people in Hong Kong, learn Cantonese. You are missing out so much fun so much inside information and i've always said once you can understand cantonese the city makes so much more sense like when someone bumps into you and like yells at you and you know suddenly is interested in in your mother's well-being and stuff like that then you know you're like it all makes sense you know what's funny i remember early on uh in Shanghai, people would say to me, my, my parents would be like, do, do Chinese people swear? And I'd yeah. be like, they never swear. I never heard them swearing. Then I learned the swear words. I was like, oh, that's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought they were just clearing their throats. Wow. Yeah. You know, I realized that they've yeah. been saying that the whole time. Like when I learned Tamada, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, classics, man. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> been hearing that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I just never thought it was actually a phrase or meant anything. I just thought it was just, you know, another I sound. I don't know why, you know. Yeah. It's such a weird, language is such a weird thing. It's like consciousness. It's mm. like you don't realize how much you're not taking in. But have you noticed... So you kind of elevate your level of consciousness is the analogy to elevating your level of... Correct. Of, uh, of your linguistic ability. Exactly, and yeah. Suddenly, you're catching all this stuff. Correct. Like, like and you're hitting it, another level. It's kind of like the person who doesn't really know comedy, but once you study it, and all of a sudden now you're watching the same comedy set, and you're seeing different levels. Yeah, it's Matrix. It's like yeah. you're, suddenly you're seeing all these like all these inner workings going on yeah. beyond the surface level that you could yeah, see Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, like before, I used to watch Jimmy Gaffigan, you know, the guy telling jokes, right? But now I would notice that sometimes when he tells a joke and he's waiting while people are laughing, he'll kind of shake his mic a little bit next to his mouth, right? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, he does that. And it's kind of a subconsciously, you watch it and your brain is like, oh, shake mic, I will laugh. You know, you have that as well. That's the old, like real old school, like tap the mic. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, I never noticed that until now I'm doing it and studying it. Yeah, I wonder if he's yeah. doing that on purpose. Well, who knows, man? Maybe it's a little Jedi mind trick for people like that joke was B, but I'm going to make it A, shake the mic, shake the mic, shake the mic. That's yeah. uh, an A joke now. Thank you very and much. And also just the art of like word choice and timing. Exactly. And that, you know? 
That's what I mean. When I tell people, when so that comes back to the biggest struggle. It's same with Cantonese. You know, you go for your first lesson. All right, you know, first two tones are good, but when you get that that seventh tone, the ninth tone, you're like, I I can't do this. This is this is so much more complex than I thought. It's like any skill, right? You learn the drums. You're like, ah, come on, man. I got two arms, two feet. I can hit this stuff. You know, keep a beat to it, no problem. Then you learn ghost notes and everything. Like what? They do this in the song, right? Guitar. I I mean, one of the reasons I don't I don't play guitar. I try to learn it was because I was like, I have five fingers and you give me six strings. No, <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> this is not. I this. can figure this out. Yeah, right. Until they put me my hands on, I'm like, I can't cover all strings. They're like, yeah, you have to keep picking. So I have to like let go of one. I have to choose which string not to press. They're like, yeah. I'm like, you know what? No, you. This this instrument is defective. Like this was not designed for people like myself. I, I'm fascinated with the logic that you apply <laughs> in this world. <laughs> learn Cantonese, Andy. <laughs> it will all make sense. So why should I learn Cantonese? Well, honestly, it's number one. You get praised on a daily basis. You can't have a bad day. Like you could wake up, life is terrible. You walk out to say Joseon, everyone's like, "Whoa, so smart, are you? I want it!" And you're like, "I'm the king. I feel good." These guys, everyone's your hype man. Everyone is just there saying, you are the man. Thank you so much for learning the language. I want to talk to you. And then they will speak to you and you won't understand anything, but you still feel good. So number one, you automatically have a citywide 88.9% of people become your hype man. Wherever you go, you just say a simple phrase and like, yes, you the man. Thank you so much. That's number one. Number two, honestly, really, it just makes life so much easier. A lot of times you want to get something done and you got to like speak in English or kind of kind of use your, your hand, hand signals, gestures. And you're like, oh, I just need you to understand this. And number three, honestly, swearing in Cantonese is so relieving. I hear this all the time. I oh, like swearing is like an art form in Cantonese. It is an art form. Like if like you're able to... Do or whatever. Do is like, you know, like basically fuck, right? Yeah. But then but the way you say it, ways the way you it. say it, man, I mean like you, like if you're able to say it in such a beautiful way that you say it and people don't realize you're saying, like for example, let's say you're, 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 you're waiting for the bus, you're like, right? You don't even go, you just go, right? That sounds like you have a, you've had a frontal lobotomy. Well, when you miss the bus, that's what it feels like. <laughs> You're like, oh, man, my life. But then when you do that, people can feel your frustration going like, okay, he's pissed off. Okay, just let him let him ha- take a deep breath. We'll be fine. And and one of, one of the things I tell people is like, go to a park, right? Watch the typical old man or old men play ch- Chinese chess and just watch the swearing happen. Every two words. And you're like, what? It's so funny because like when you don't speak the language... You look at him sitting there, you're like, oh, it's so cultural. Yeah, and then you yeah. realize he's going, what the fuck is shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. He's talking about, ah, this stupid wind is causing me bad luck. What's happening over here? Oh, I can't sit in this seat. Bad function. Thing? Yeah, I mean, anything, man. It's just, a bu- it. it's just a bunch of guys yapping away and having a good time. And I always say what we call Wayunaba, which is Victoria Park uh, uncle. Right. So these guys are just sitting there, you know, shirt off, playing Chinese chess and, you know, like shaking one leg and kind of talking, talking smack with each other and just generally complaining about the world, but adding unnecessary cuss words. They are the opposite of a good set in comedy where we're trying to minimize the wasteful words. These guys are just throwing in words that you don't need. They're just maximizing it. And, and, and unfortunately, it's the same word every time. Every, every time they have to ask about each other's parents, mothers, families, stuff like that, just over a game of Chinese chess. It's the best. And if you understand Cantonese, you enjoy it. If you don't, you think you're watching culture. If you understand Cantonese, you know this is just bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I do kind of look at it like, like there are two reasons why I would study it. Yeah. The first reason is respect. Of course, when like, you come to this place, yes. Someone's, like people, people in the West are, are really happy to say, 
It's funny how in the West people are like, hey, you came here, learn the language. You, no, I never hear that in Asia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you didn't learn. What, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's tricky. It's very weird, right? It has no, a bizarre never, double never, standard. There's no expectation. Yeah. never hear that expectation. Well, then again, maybe they are doing... Maybe do- like once I've heard someone say... They are probably complaining about it, but in Cantonese, so you have no idea. <laughs> They're saying it in Cantonese. Yeah, you know? I don't know. People never said that in mainland China. And, yeah. And I, I've never had a sense of that. I mean, do you think hmm. it's a thing? That no, I don't really think so. I, honestly, in Asia, a lot of people... Because also English I've is, never had anyone make me feel for a second that I should be speaking Cantonese. Yeah, I think honestly, because English is just a spoken language slash international language thing. So everyone yeah. kind of just feels, well, you know, we should learn English yeah. more than you should learn the Eastern language that actually is our home language. And, but there's no, there isn't that sense of respect. Like you're, you're here. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm also, I'd also add to that. Like I'm a little bit embarrassed at the idea hmm. that people are like, oh, you've lived there for how many years? Five years. Did you speak the language? And I'll be like, oof. Yeah. Like, th- I just feel like that's, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I don't want to be that it, person. I know what you mean. It kind of shows a little bit, A, disrespectful if you put it that way, or B, it's just laziness. It's like you had every opportunity. You were in literally the best place ever, and you're telling me you've never learned the language. It's kind of like you work at a comedy club for, let's say, 20 years as, you know, the bar staff or whatever, and, and you've never actually watched the show, right? Or you've never actually been tempted. Let me just go up there and maybe do one joke on an open mic. Yeah, well, that's a great. I like that analogy because to me, it's 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 the experience that's the real draw. Yeah, like going back. To, I keep using this matrix. I'm killing this matrix analogy, but <laughs> but I I. You are the one, Andy. You I, are the one. I'm the two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the, the, I remember when I about three years into Shanghai, I'd I'd been studying really pretty hard, been going pretty hard at it, and and I felt like at that point I got to a level where if I didn't understand something, I didn't need the expert the explanation in English. Yeah. You know, like I could ask, what did that mean? And they could explain it in Chinese and yeah, I could yeah. get through that. So you get basically a Chinese to Chinese dictionary. You wouldn't need the Chinese to English dictionary. Sure. Yeah, yeah. got it. I, I would. I mean, actual in the analogy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But sure. Uh, and then I suddenly, it was like the depth to my neighborhood just, it was like I'd been, it's like if you were living scu- in a bubble, it was right? like if you were scuba diving on low visibility yeah and then just all the dust cleared and yeah. suddenly i was like oh those people are different from those people like the women in the bakery they're shanghainese but the people in the tea store they're from Wishan and, yeah and, and they speak they're speaking something else yeah and, and it was so interesting you know it, was, it and i fully agree with you on that because it, it's like like it's, like we talked earlier on is that once you understand it at a basic level you suddenly learn to appreciate it on a whole new level it's like drinking coffee or wine or whatever before coffee is like coffee is coffee right but then you learn oh the, the thickness the texture it, and it changes your world when you go to a place and the coffee's average you're like ah, this is terrible what am I wasting my time with same with comedy same with languages it, it's like me telling people hey come to a comedy show and they're like no I watch a lot of comedy on Netflix I'm like yeah I know but just come to the show but it's the same thing my TV screen's so big I think I'm in a live show I'm like, trust me, just come here. I want you to feel the echoes of the room. I want you to feel the, the words coming out of these speakers, the guy in your face, that light in your eyes. And then you will get what I'm trying to say. It's experience. Yes, yeah, experience. And same with learning the language. Like you said, the same environment you were in, by you suddenly giving yourself that one little ability of understanding the language on another level, suddenly now you're seeing parts of your neighborhood that you never noticed or didn't understand. It was amazing. And suddenly I would, uh, from then I would start taking the alleyways. Yeah. Yeah, and really like, and it's amazing how when I couldn't understand them, how just like intellectually I just 
a block. Yeah. Like I, I would love to see a map of like my view of that street. Yeah. As my language level changed, because it was like it'd be like smooth walls. Yeah. No, not even, not even cluing on that there's stuff there, and then suddenly it's like, oh, that's what that kind of person is. Yeah. That's what that, you know, that's what's going yeah, on yeah. there. And I remember there was, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but in in uh, New Shaman they have these things called the Tulo. You, you know it if you've seen it. It's like a real cliche. Uh-huh. Chinese icon. It's like a, a giant mud hut. Sort of looks like a donut. Okay. And whenever they do like, you know, Mulan or whatever, they're all in these movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, those, it's, yeah. It's, it's like a uh, UNESCO heritage listed place. Got it. You can go there and some of them are, you know, they were like walled cities and they're huge and they've been turned into tourist locations or others have just been left alone and you can yeah. go and stay in them. It's a real remote thing that you can wow. go and do. And I went into one of them and like the people living in there had lived there their whole life. There was like 80 year olds that had lived in there the whole life. Yeah. In this same like That was their structure. world. That was their whole world. Wow. And I go in there and they would invite you into their house mm-hmm. and I was able to talk with them and I was like, man, that's that, fascinating. Like, four years of this language was worth it for that, yeah, yeah. that singular experience. I think that's what it is. The moment you're able to have a nice, decent conversation yeah. with the language, you're going to, it just hits a good feeling because you're like, wow, I'm actually conversing. This is That's not... A, you know that when you're like, you get off the phone and you're like, I just had my first phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they didn't cut the line. I understood what they were saying. Yeah. I actually, I reserved the table at the restaurant. Yay. Yeah. You know, but... Uh, then you realize that you're... You've the wrong signed restaurant. Signed up to work there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you decided to give away your funds for charity, something like that. <laughs> still good. Yeah. You still feel good about it. Yeah, yeah, you did something. But yeah, learning Cantonese has a different challenge compared to a lot of other languages, mostly because the, the, the it's language is right? hard. Like seven or nine tones. And speaking Mandarin gives you very little advantage. Yeah. Reverse is speaking Cantonese moving on to Mandarin is way easier than is Mandarin. It really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot. Because again, once you understand the basics of, you know, the upward tone, the downward tone, the boo, and the flat tone, right? Then you're like, oh, I get it. It's, it's just those four. But in Cantonese, it's not just the upward, downward. It's the little in between. It's kind of up, but it's, it's the first tone up. And then it's also what is your exact expression? Are you Who angry? Who made this stupid language? <laughs> Guangdong <laughs> like, people. Well, that's got to be like, let's just mess with it. In people. many, many years ago in the Guangdong area, <laughs> for, for trade reasons, <laughs> this is what I learned today. <laughs> no, I think honestly, the language is just it's one of those things that just it's kind of like the dictionary now the more we use a certain word they just eventually add it into the dictionary like the word though by homer simpsons is right so i'm sure cantonese was the same thing the language the language is not static yeah so i think that's probably how a lot of this this expression or the tone started happening cantonese is like oh he's angry but not that angry all right that's gonna be a new tone guys that's the angry but not angry tone. Same, same, but different tone. Have you ever heard of the book The Surgeon of Crowthorn by Simon Winchester? I'm going to say yes, but tell me all about it. So basically, it sounds crazy, but it's really good. So basically, I, again, I think it's like the late 1900s, sorry, late 1800s, uh, like British imperialism had you know, gone across the world and, and they were, actually, it might have even been 100 years earlier. I can't look it up, but it was... There were no dictionaries. Dictionaries didn't exist. There, there was one dictionary that had been made, and it was very subjective. It was just one person who read the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, ah, that's a cat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. And anyway, so the, the Oxford University were like, we need to put our language in stone so that it isn't ruined by the colonies. Yeah. And so that is the genesis of the first dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary. And so what they did was they tackled a, a volume at a time. And they would do A and then use that to fund B. And they would, it was all, it was like early crowdsourcing. 
Yeah. They would say to people, they'd put signs up in the, you know, at the edge of the university saying, if you want to read books and find us every example of AA to like AB, you know, or AAA to AAB. And so people would give them the work and they would take averages to figure out the definitions of stuff. And there was a guy called, there was a guy who was sending in work under the name The Surgeon of Crowthorn, but the volume of work was so big. They were like, it's got to be a team of people, you know. And, and the guy who was kind of leading the funding effort was like, I'm going to go down there. Maybe we can find some money or maybe there'll be some advantage here. So they goes to meet this guy. And Crowthorn is an insane asylum. Yeah. And the surgeon is an American Civil War surgeon who'd lost his mind, shot a guy in the streets of London and was held, you know, indefinitely in this insane asylum. Yeah. Sitting in a small cell filled to the top with books Writing the Oxford English Dictionary. Wow. Yeah. I think they're making it into a movie, I, I heard somewhere. Wow, that's crazy. This guy's probably like rolling in his grave right now when he finds out the word cray-cray is in the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what? You yeah. took out the Z? You know how hard I work? What do you mean? <laughs> in fleek. <laughs> exactly. How dare you? Yeah. Is Instagram a word? What? Oh, God. It's space. But uh, you book. know, I disagree. Well, I don't know this guy, and obviously he was insane. But, but I think that the real lovers of the language understand that it, that, that it's 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 a strength. Yeah. That it changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it adapts, and then it becomes efficient. Well, you know? I I would say that is how a language should be. It should evolve with the times. I mean, yeah. everything in life evolves anyway. So it's kind of silly to be stuck I in mean, the olden know, days. There's this old thing where people say, "Well, they don't speak English like they used to." And it's yeah. like, well, you know, if you want to tell me that art isn't as transcendent now as it was, yeah, you know, I don't think you're not paying attention. Yeah, I it's mean, just that we have we don't feel like it's now it can be pretentious to just try for the sake of seeming more artistic yeah. to try and find big words rather than to find actual meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the difference is like trying to look artistic and actually be artistic yeah, is like two a, different is things. There a, is there a transmission of emotion or are you just trying to yeah. get a word? Yeah, I mean, it's it would be silly to come to a comedy show and say, hey, back in the days with the kingdoms, the jesters didn't do it this way. Yeah. You know, entertain me like a jester. Why doesn't this comedian have a hat with bells on it? Yeah, exactly. Why is there no hole in the floor for me to like sink the guy down into the waters, right? It's <laughs> like things change, people. Why didn't the king kill one of these guys at the end of the show? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Someone comes with a Burger King uh, cap and he's like, all right, make me laugh. But I would say Cantonese is one of those languages as well where, because it's so expressive, that it's hard to explain until you live in it. Like, if you went to a class it every day... It seems that people say it's the expressiveness. It's very expressive, it. yeah. And the problem is, until you actually use it, going and reading through books or tapes or whatever just doesn't cut it. You need to use it regularly or at least be in it and live in it to fully understand the nuances of, like I said, the expression, the and the you know, two different things. So... That's what also comes to comedy as well. Like, lucky for me, because I grew up here in Hong Kong and I speak... Language comedy parallels are huge. Yeah, very big, very big, you know. So, for myself, when I'm doing Cantonese comedy, I'm not trying to like, oh, ha, 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 you know, this is the word in Cantonese now. But it's like, how can I translate this particular story that I have maybe written in English, but say it in the same way in Cantonese, but also convey the same emotions through the language? So, some of my jokes can translate, some of them can't. How... and what does translating mean? Do so I'm not saying like, you know, I went and took the, the bus. Not like word for word translation, right? But it's the translation of the feelings and the visuals, right? So uh, I, I went and took the bus. 
I would not say I go to bus. I would like I go to bus. So I would just go. I wouldn't say I went to go take the bus. I would just say I, I, I took the bus. bus. Yeah, in you know, a more casual, but in the Cantonese casual way. So the translation has to trying to translate that feeling of me talking to you with this tone, but in this other language. Yeah, you got your cadence and your tone. Cadence and also wording organization. So in English you might say A B C D, but in Cantonese you might say A D C B. Right to get the same explanation of the sentence. Wow! Right, Oof. so you, so that's the challenge. It's like, what if your punchline is C, but you got to put the C in the front now? But how I could I? I have that problem in English anyway. I and in fact, like especially with newer comics, I, I see that in their jokes. Yeah, you're like your reveal word. Yeah, the word the funniest word, the word that is making this. You, yeah, you're doing it like too early from the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I, do you know who it was of all people? Uh, freaking Jonathan Atherton oh. <laughs> said to me, it, did comedy doesn't have to make grammatical sense. Okay, fair enough. And I, I mean, think about that a lot. It's like yeah. you can get away with a sentence that doesn't make sense yeah. just to get that joke at the yeah. end, yeah, yeah, yeah. the word at the end, and, and it'll make it work better. Fair enough. I mean, like ultimately your goal is to make the, the audience laugh. So if it takes you kind of playing around the grammar, it, you know, it's fair enough. But then Take the, some liberties. Yeah, exactly, extra liberty. But then the best, obviously, is when you don't have to use that. You know, it's kind of like uh, if you have to bend the grammar to the point where people feel I this doesn't sound right, but it is funny at the end. Sometimes it's just funny. Yeah, it's just Sometimes funny. It's just like, I don't know. It doesn't even make sense. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's so absurd or the way you said it or just adding it all up together. It's like, it's like a callback, right? When you're doing a bit and you just call back, that, that callback is not funny. It's because it's a callback. Therefore, it's funny. But anyway, we're going off topic. We always end up going to talk about comedy. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're supposed to focus this on Cantonese. Like, this is all just a ruse for talking about comedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love when I mean, we're, going, Rachel, we're like, tell me about your Hong Kong stories and then we'll tell you how it relates to comedy. <laughs> yeah. We can't get away, man. We're in a comedy <laughs> club, in a comedy room you know and we're doing talking the stuff but if i really being honest with you I, i've been thinking about it a lot i really do want to study cantonese yeah i know this is a cop out because you only need to put 20 minutes in a day but i'm struggling yeah to find 20 minutes in a day yeah, yeah, yeah i really haven't been finding it and and the thing that's in my mind is you do not casually pick up a language like cantonese yeah you can't it is a commitment I yeah mean, i studied mandarin for 10 years i don't think i achieved the level that i really set out to achieve yeah yeah, yeah. And I'm expecting the same in Cantonese. I would say the best way really is not like to say, okay, I'm going to sit down for 20 minutes, you know, listen to the tape, but maybe set aside... a lifestyle commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say initially maybe set out half an hour or a day where for that half an hour, everything around me is Cantonese. So anyone who I'm working with, whatever, you must be speaking to me in Cantonese and I have to somehow figure it out. You get it? So then you just, you just experience it for 30 minutes a day. It's kind of like, you know, yoga or whatever, where you just do it for 30 minutes, eventually it becomes just a habit. And you notice that the, the repetition, like every time you're, let's say, at the riff over here, and for that 30 minutes, they're talking to you in Cantonese, and you'll notice, oh, that is glass. Pui, okay, pui is glass. It just clicks in your head now. You automatically remember the sound because you're now not just remembering the sound, you're actually remembering the experience when you were looking at that thing. Well, there's a bigger mental imprint. Yeah, to meet, you know, it's visual. Yeah, it's in the moment. Yeah, because like yeah. my kids are learning Russian, they probably speak Russian as well as they speak English. And, yeah, and I'm picking up so much because he'll accidentally speak to me in Russian or, or hear. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there you go. Yeah, and and you remember from so even when I was learning Cantonese, one of the things I did before is I I may not remember the words itself, but I would remember the tone. So I'm thinking musical. But when so, you were learning it, like how? So old when I was in, uh, I was like six years old in primary school, and so I learned you, for six years. Your first language is English. English, and then Cantonese. English. So I actually only speak two languages, really. 
And so at six. At six years old, I was in primary school. And, and that's in primary when, school, they're like, how yeah. hard was it going to primary school when you didn't speak the language? And it was tough, man. I mean, like I came second last when I was in primary two in the whole year. It was terrible because my family don't speak Cantonese and therefore they couldn't help me. And Still to this day, they don't? Well, barely. I mean, my mom enough to go to the market and ask for a discount. Right. So that works out for her. But it's not enough to help. Like in English, you see the word A-P-P-L-E. You're like, oh, apple. Right. But in Cantonese or Chinese characters, you can't look at the word like, okay. Phonetic language. Yeah. You don't see oh seven strokes is the huh. You know, it doesn't work that way. So they couldn't help me. They didn't know how to help (gasps) me. Yeah. That's that's the seventh stroke. (laughs) Right. Do you feel like that shaped you as a person at all? Oh, definitely, man. I mean, the challenge. I'll be okay. Did the other kids speak English? Not much. Because in the whole school, they were all all Chinese. So from convenience point of view, they're going to choose Cantonese because like 9 out of 10, I mean 99% of the class or 88.9% of the class was speaking Cantonese, right? So why would they have to waste their time trying to speak in English to me when they got everyone else speaking to them in Cantonese? It's kind of like my job to, if I want to get participate or play with them, I've got to learn the language, right? So initially it was really tough. I'll be very honest with you. There were struggles. My parents were really worried. My mom was worried because back then in the 80s, this wasn't a common thing for a non-Chinese kid to learn Cantonese. But they really felt that if you're going to live somewhere, like you said, the respect issue, and also they realized that they had limitations living here in Hong Kong and, and not speaking. They didn't want you to have it. They didn't want me to have it, and they were too lazy to learn themselves because they didn't want to commit 20 minutes a day. So they decided, all right, make the son do the work. Like, put him in school, make him <laughs> translate it for us. I'm like, yeah, great. You're so like, that's how it is. You're like, it's so nice you're helping me. They're like, helping you. Yeah, exactly. Helping no, no, no. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not for your future, people. So it was it was tough so i i never lied to anyone and say hey man just you know keep at it you can do it i said look honestly like you said earlier on it's really you got to live in the language you got to really put it and commit to it but the truth is you commit two three years of genuine every day putting maybe like an hour of my environment is cantonese for this whole hour i'm pretty sure in two three years time you're going to be able to see a completely different world around you because you'll, you'll be saying the words, you'll be knowing how to express certain words, and you will just understand. And like I said, the challenge is... But you're still not, you're still like barely fluent at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But enough to kind of communicate what you want to say, even though you can't have like you a... You handle like 90% of street interactions. Right? Yes, correct. Yeah, you know, so you have that. Oh, and, and I will tell you, the truth is, if you can understand Cantonese, that's 70% of the battle. Right, and then if you can speak it, that's another twenty percent. So that's ninety percent. And if you can read it, that's the last ten percent, and you're hundred percent. You're set. Because the truth is, if you can't read it, you can kind of get away with a lot of stuff. But if you can't speak it, you can still kind of get away. But if you can understand it, then it makes everyone else so much more convenient to want to communicate with you. Because if I only speak Cantonese, so even if you're going to English, you're still getting how they think. Yeah, exactly. And little bits of what. Yeah, and it works because, like, let's say I speak to you in Cantonese. Isn't there, isn't there like honkish or something now? Like it's like sort of half Cantonese, half English. There's a lot of that. Yeah, so a lot of words like Cantonese is so efficient, or we try to make it efficient that if a word in Cantonese is not easy to say, even like the word itself is like a tongue twister, you just use an English word to replace it. Like for example, do you do you get it? You would say the game get though. So you say, do you get or not get it yeah, in like Cantonese, that. right? So you have that. And I used to have a joke before where I would say, uh, in Cantonese, very often we speak more English than we do in ca- Chinese words in the f- sentence. So, for example, the you word... Know, Drew had a similar joke. Yeah, really? Yeah. Same thing. So you would have just... and for example, Okay, so I'll tell everyone, if you speak Cantonese, uh, I said a sentence is, yong not drop down notes efficient, which basically means saying using a notebook to jot down notes is more efficient. That's All right? right. So I just said yong notebook drop down notes to 
gay efficient. So out of that whole sense, only three were, were Cantonese characters. That's like Drew's bit is like he's at a meeting and they're like, oh, my English is not so good. Can I speak Chinese? He's like, yeah, sure. They're like, woman, Jinia, yo, improvements. <laughs> You're like, wait, eh? From the beginning of last year, now whole woman, choose a line manager. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, same deal. And you're just like, uh, I think you're pretty good at this. It's fine. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you would notice that if you speak the language, you're like, wait a second. Why did I learn it's all this? It's funny, though, that when you transliterations, you don't catch them. If you, I, I remember saying to a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was saying transliterated words in Japanese. I was like, orenji juice, like <laughs> yeah. swimming or puro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, oh my God, Japanese is fluent. You know? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, not really, but okay, I got no, away I'm with it. No, I'm just racist. No. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's a question though, like here's the two issues that I have. Here's the two main things that are preventing me, you know, time is, is, is not just time, but knowing how massive a commitment it needs yeah. to take on. Yeah. And then the second thing is, and I'm not saying I'm sold on this, but is this language the right one to learn? You well, know? Okay. So if you look at purely from a ROI return on investment, I cannot confidently tell you, yes, it's worth the ROI. Because the amount of energy you put in to learn Cantonese versus the number of people who speak it or you know how much it opens the world to you. It definitely Mandarin. If you if you learn it with the four tones, you can communicate with way more people in the world. And how- also, like if I as a Mandarin English speaker, like on a Venn diagram, like how many people am I adding? Yeah, that don't speak English, don't speak Mandarin, but speak Cantonese. Exactly. So from that point of view, the investment, yes, definitely Cantonese. I could not say the ROI is worth it. If you're gonna put, in, if you have limited hours and you know I have 20 minutes a day. I need to pick the best language for me to get my best returns. Then Cantonese is not that language. Do you know more people speak Cantonese than speak Italian, Dutch, Polish, or Thai? <laughs> oh, man. True. Really? Yep. Wow. Well, then again, I mean, let's think about it like Italian. Half of the language is not spoken anyway. Hey. 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 hey, hey yeah. Their right? tones are in their hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. So it's not a spoken word. I don't really know. Okay. Well, well it's good to know. But- I heard a rumor that that the schools are killing off Cantonese by teaching in Mandarin. Here in Hong Kong? Yes. Oh, yeah, it's happening. They're actually forbidding students from speaking Cantonese at school, claiming it's in hopes for them to learn Mandarin better because they speak Cantonese at home anyway. But you're getting more and more kids nowadays who actually don't even speak Cantonese or have an accent and that grew up in Hong Kong. I mean, that's like a bigger concern. It's like, am I committing to Latin? Yeah, you're not really. It's just that the problem with Cantonese now, there's a lot of political stuff behind it. You know, like the idea of like, if you all don't speak Cantonese, like traditional Chinese, you know, the less you use it, the the fewer people that know it. And then eventually it just fades away because, I mean, simplified Chinese works, right? But then there's the big academic challenge of simplified Chinese and uh, and traditional Chinese. The characters in traditional Chinese have meaning. For example, the word for love and stuff like that, there's like the heart and all that. But then apparently like in in simplified Chinese, they remove those characters. So it's kind of like it has a different meaning to it. So all these small small things. Year that they did a simplified Chinese language, mm-hmm. they simplified it too far, and it didn't make sense. Yeah, and there's it lasted I think about three years, and there's a generation of Chinese people that learned this oversimplified Chinese that's never been used, and they don't know how to read. So they're like they're basically the current generation learning English. Lol. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> yeah, I, but I just mean that like they yeah, can't like, read anything. Yeah, that's out like there. it's what they learned is way. Yeah, they were like. Ugh. Let's get a few more strokes in there. Yeah, wow. I never knew that. I really never. I thought simplified. They simplified as much as they could. Apparently, they could make it even more. If they would have ever simplified it in the era of computers. 
Well, that also comes down to the characters and because their like, when fonts. When you ever write with a pen, really? How You're not going to. Oh, rarely, man. Right? And writing with traditional simplified doesn't make a difference on a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just type it in. It knows the direct translation anyway. Yeah. That's actually what I do. A lot of times when I get messages and people type simplified, I just put it into translation. I it do gives Google, me. Yeah. Yeah. Directly translates to traditional. I know what they're saying now. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that, so it's like a redundant language. One is like prettier at most. The other one is simplified, but you, it's kind of the same point. But I get like making it easier to write would help at some point. But I don't. Yeah, think shorthand basically. Yeah. I think this is the art versus the efficiency, as in like you know form over function thing, where. It, you could put LOL, laughing out loud, BRB, stuff like that. You know, like you, when you when I write the word because, have you heard that's that shorthand where you put the three dots? Yes. Yeah. So I write because like that because it just saves me time when I'm writing out my notes or whatever, and I understand it. But I should also know how to write the word B E C A U S E because you get it. So just for simplification and efficiency, I'll put the three dots. But does not mean I should never even have touched the word. Well, you know, I never learned to write Chinese with a pen. Oh, okay. Because I was like, man, that's going to take a lot of work and I don't think I'll ever use it. And I don't feel like I've ever missed out. Yeah, I don't think you have. If you know how to type it on the computer, you're good to go. Um, So a couple of questions from the podcast group. We, uh, By the way, we have a WhatsApp group. If you want to get in the WhatsApp group, look in the description of the podcast and you can just click through and get in there. Uh, Question from Peter Ballock to me. Would you learn Cantonese for comedy or otherwise? Um, I would not learn it for comedy. That's another level. Yeah, I just it. If you talk about the effort to learn it for, uh, just to learn it, that comedy is like a whole nother commitment. You yeah, know? to to be good at comedy, it's you. You also got to keep it up. Yeah, you got to like I, my Mandarin. I stopped Mandarin comedy because it was just too much. Yeah, so you got to perform several times a week. You got to write. Like it's huge commitment. Yeah, uh, and I'm I don't I'm never gonna I'm I do not have the life. Uh, time to yeah. get it, that done again. It's kind of like saying, you know, you learn the scales on the piano to eventually play a jazz session. It's like, well, that's a whole different thing. Learning yeah. the scales is one thing, but well, being no, the I think jam- it's worse than that. It's like not just by a session, but to be a regular session. Yeah, player. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no like, I'm a comedian, but I haven't performed in ten years. It's like yeah. you're either now or you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it, I guess, yeah, that commitment slash interest as well. Yeah. So I fully understand you not wanted to go that route. So. Uh, a question from Grant Tobman. He said, if you could speak to anyone in Cantonese, who would it be? Uh, where outside Hong Kong, Guan- Guangdong, would Cantonese be useful and why? Why don't you do the second one? Uh, okay, you know so where outside... Actually, what I find is everywhere I travel, people... There are some communities that speak Cantonese. Like you even when I was in Malaysia, there was a big one. There was lots, man. Malaysia, a lot of people speak Cantonese, and I'm way better than them at it. <laughs> but you know, so Penang, uh, even in KL, Kuala Lumpur, tons of people. I was in Melbourne, a lot of people there speak it. When I do my Cantonese shows in Melbourne, actually, I get Vietnamese, Thai, you know, Hong Kong Chinese coming down to the show. No white people though. Uh, you have the boyfriend or the girlfriend yeah. coming in, you know, to, su- to show support, right? So you have that. But honestly, wherever I traveled. I've because my ears are noticing Cantonese, so definitely there's someone. And if anything, when I'm traveling and I'm speaking Cantonese, you just feel safe. You're like, yeah, n- pretty much no one's gonna understand what I'm saying. And now. I think Chinatowns traditionally had a lot were more Cantonese language. Correct, correct, all the yeah. Immigrants would come from Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, a lot, especially after the handover and stuff like that. So you have, I mean, when I was in Vancouver, there was tons over there. Right. So uh, outside of, let's say, you know, Hong Kong and let's say uh, Malaysia and all that stuff, you have uh, all over the place. Honestly, wherever I've ever traveled, at some point I've noticed Cantonese, whether they're tourists or they just live there and they've moved there. Definitely. So I wouldn't say you're limited to speaking to any people over there. It's just that 
like I said, the if I spoke Mandarin as well, I would have probably noticed a way more Mandarin speakers when I was traveling. Uh, this next question is a bit of a tricky one from Charlie Cooper. He said, "What what political value do you think there is in the designation of Cantonese as a dialect of Mandarin rather than its own separate language uh, when it comes to core concepts like Zhonghua Minzu?" I think that. It is. It, it isn't linguistically. It's not a dialect of Mandarin, right? Uh, they are dialects of the same group, but it's not derivative of Mandarin. I don't know the official academic thing, but what I would say, yeah, I mean the parallels. If it was, I would have speaking been speaking Mandarin way faster than what I've been trying to attempt at. Yeah, but I think it's a subset in the sense that, like, Mandarin is definitely the dominant lingua franca. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, let's put it this way: it's like. Just because you have a certain style of comedy doesn't mean you're a subset of deaf comedy jam, right? I wish I was. Hey, well, I mean, work at it. Work at it. Do you... How do you think Beijing looks at Cantonese? I would say it's really just... An, an, if you want to get political, I kind of feel it's like just a minor annoyance to them. Where it's like, how is Mandarin worse than this? Why are you guys not adapted to Mandarin? It's easier. It's simpler. More people speak it. It's bit more beneficial. Why are you holding on to this language of yours, Right. So why are you I wasting this guess, much effort? I would guess that anything like like China's whole thing is like we want to make our people think that they're unified and different from the rest of the world. Yeah. And so anything that makes a group of people within China identify as different from the other people of China yeah. is a problem that needs to be erased. Correct. I would say that's I would yeah. with a lot of confidence I would say that that's a point of view that's going to be held about. Yeah, it. so it's a so minor Cantonese annoyance. Yeah. is a way in which, like, I bet they don't give a shit about Cantonese in Guangdong province. Yeah. But it's when it's here and it does have that, it allows people to say, hey, I'm not mainland Chinese, I'm something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's a I certain identity. It's, yeah. You know, like, it, it's it's like saying, you know, you have a certain accent and that accent kind of identifies who you are. And I think Cantonese is that, like I said, it's that secret language that this group speaks that the parents don't speak. It's like when I was young, me and my sister spoke in Cantonese, so we could tell secrets in front of my parents' faces. <laughs> and they were like, you're practicing. I'm like, yeah, we are practicing. Yeah, practicing. Yeah. Big, big, big <laughs> nose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have no idea, right? So I think, honestly, it's the matter, like you said, the fall into line kind of deal where, you know, we are all one united team. Why do you have to have a different language from the rest of the team? Why do you have to be so, quote unquote, special? You know, what's so different? But Guangdong, at least China's got more control over it. Because, you know, they still are under that rule of oh, law or whatever. totally. I mean, and, yeah, it's completely within the system. Yeah, and, and Hong Kong's not yet. I people from Guangdong, I mean, they, the, the ones that I know, and I know a lot of people from there, they see themselves as part of the same China. Yeah. They don't think they'll, we're these southerners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even like the US where they're like, the south is different from the north. It's yeah. Like, no, we're all China. Yeah. Like and they are dialed into that now. Because that's the way it was for, the, for them from day one, right? Yeah, In sure. Hong Kong, it's kind of this weird thing where you kind of were sent overseas to study for a bit and you come back home and people are telling... Like, one of my things I keep telling people, like, the way I see it is that Hong Kong is that one sibling that got sent overseas to study, came back to the family and was like, hey, mom, uh, let's go out for hamburgers tonight. The mom's like, no, we're Chinese. We don't eat hamburgers. It's like, no, mom, uh, uh, let, I'm, just, I'm not saying I'm not Chinese. I'm saying let's try some burgers. No, we eat cha siu bao. It's like, mom, I'm not saying we don't eat cha siu bao. I'm saying why don't we try burgers? 
I've never tried it. Your grandfather's never tried it. Your other brothers have never tried it. They don't need it. Look at them. They're smiling. They're happy. Why can't you listen to me and eat your cha siu pao? You're Chinese. It's like, mom, this has nothing to do with whether I'm Chinese or not. I'm simply saying I learned what this is. I saw what this is. I have a feeling you might like it. How about we all just go out and try it? And mom's like, and what if you all like it, huh? What if they all start turning out on hamburgers every single day? How do you want me to cook hamburgers? Do you think we can afford hamburgers? Whoa, mom, I mean, you're taking it too far now. Fine, I'll just eat my cha siu pao. Good boy. You know, that sort of thing. So it's kind of that I've seen a bit more of the world and I want to share it with you, but you're holding on to the idea that this new mentality or this new thing might disrupt everything that we've had so far. Sure. Right? So Cantonese in the same way, uh, it's in a way where it's saying, you know, if suddenly now you're learning Cantonese, it might open your mind in a different way. You might suddenly question differently. All of a sudden you're swearing in different tones. I can't have that. You know, I want you guys the way it is. It's been tradition to the family, so stick with it. How do people here look at Mandarin speakers? Half and half. Honestly, like if you look at the sensla- sensationalism of the newspapers, then obviously you're going to see like people who look down upon it. Oh, the mainland Chinese, you know, you're in Hong Kong, speak Cantonese. At the same time, it's also a business opportunity where people see Mandarin speakers and say, okay, this is, a, this is the doorway to the another world of business. So it's half and half. Honestly, like, like myself, if I see someone speaking in Mandarin, my immediate go-to thing is not like, oh, God, you're in Hong Kong. I'm not thinking that. What I am thinking is like, okay, what Mandarin are they speaking as in like, you know, from where are they? I'm curious more about the person. However, there this are, is more about you though. Yeah, this is me. So I, I have my own kind of open open view, but there are people who are just upset with the language. The language itself just rubs them the wrong way. Which I understand. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, when it becomes a symbol of oppression. Yeah. Um, last question before we get out of here from Matt Hutchinson. He said, what, are, what is our take on Hong Kong's treatment of its minority languages, such as Hakka and Urdu? And are there parallels with the way Beijing treats Cantonese in schools and online video platforms and live? I would say the Hong Kong government doesn't even know what a minority language is. (laughs) (laughs) Based on what they've done so far, they're like, I guess it's a language you don't speak much of. It's like, uh, yes, but there's much more to it. Uh, Honestly, uh, if you want to talk about how Hong Kong handles it, I would say pretty terribly from a government point of view. Simply because after all these years calling ourselves an international city, until this day the government just cannot get their stuff together and have their publications in multiple languages, you know, or even have services that cater to ethnic minorities in their own native languages. It really shows you the lack of care or effort they're putting into it. Luckily, in Hong Kong, you have a lot of NGOs that actually put in the effort to make the translations. You have a lot of guys like myself or who've grown up in Hong Kong, and we feel that we have the ability to maybe kind of bridge the gap. And then you try to use your, your ways. For example, I will inform uh, relatives or family who are not Cantonese speakers or Chinese speakers and at least let them know what's actually going on. What's that big printout? Because just from, I'll, I'll give you an example. With the elections, uh, basically the electrical elections and everything, the candidates will start sending you their mailers of, you know, hey, vote for me because I'm this, this, that, that, right? And a lot of them will send it out only in Chinese to districts that are predominantly uh, ethnic minorities. Where are the minority districts? Uh, all over the place. You would get like Yamate, you know, uh, in Yunlong, Tinsui, those different places. And the bizarre thing is that you will have guys who've been running as candidates and running and winning, but their flies are all still in Chinese because they're like, you know what, you're such a small population. We don't really care if you can read it or not. And chances are you're just going to ask your friend, who are you voting for? A? Okay, I'll vote for A too. Who's it? Was it Thomas Jefferson or someone said democracy is two wolves and a sheep? Uh, voting on who to have for dinner. 
yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure it's something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it was somebody else that said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough, yeah, but we get the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. None of them are good, man. That's how. That's the game. He's just the lesser of two evils, kind of a deal. So yeah. Should I learn Cantonese? I would say learn it if you want to enjoy a different part of Hong Kong. If you I want to do it. Yeah. I know I, it. 20 minutes a day, dude. 20 minutes a day to say for the next 20 minutes from 3 to 3.20 p.m. Don't talk to me in other language than Cantonese. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. I'm going to have 20 minutes of awkwardness with Vivek every day. <laughs> <laughs>